When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Typically, somebody without diabetes has a blood sugar of between four and seven. Those are the markers of a healthy blood sugar. When I went into the hospital, they said I was in the 30s, 40s. Michelle. Hey, Carling. Do you want to tell the new people who we are? I sure do. We are Carling and Michelle. We've been best friends for over 20 years. We have been through a lot of trauma. And so we decided to start a podcast where we talk to other people with interesting stories to tell and no topic is off limits. Yeah. How's it going? Yeah, it's going good. How are yeah. you? Good. We thought of a question today. Yeah. I thought of it because of your exciting news. Mm -hmm. So my question for the day is, what was your first job? And I don't like babysitting doesn't count. No. Like somewhere that takes taxes. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. My first job was at Moxie's in Market Mall. You were there when I had my interview. And my skirt fell down. Yeah. That's so 16 right? of us. Like, Let's go together. I was sitting on the jobs. bench in the mall yeah. watching you and your skirt fell down I at the know. very end. So ridiculous. I was wearing one of those <laughs> like, the job, maxi so. skirts, like the long to your ankles with the drawstring. And I was wearing like very white full granny underwear underneath. Yeah. The only thing that would have been made it better was if I was on my period. Oh, my God. The funny thing about that job uh, is I... I'm an idiot. And I lived at the time in the southwest of Calgary, but I got a job yeah. in the northwest of Calgary. Like, why? Like, why would I? Did you drive? No, I didn't have a car. So a lot of times either you or your mom would drive me there after school and then my parents would have to come and pick me up. Oh Imagine being my. my parents being like, what the hell? Why would you get a job like clear across the city? I know. Why did you? I don't know. I think that you like you and I hung out all the time and we were always in that area. Like how stupid. Yeah, that is silly. Anyway, what about you? I got a job at Perkins Family Restaurant and Bakery mm -hmm. and I was a hostess with, with the, the mostess. mostess. And I was only 14, but I wanted a job because my sister had a job right. there. When I look back now, it was the Wild West. It was a 24-hour restaurant. I did a couple of overnight shifts once I started serving, oh but I was still, I was only a hostess for a little bit. And then I got to be a server. And then the easiest section to serve was the smoking section uh -huh. because people are smoking. They're not in a hurry for yeah. anything as long as they have an ashtray. And so at 14, 15 was serving in the smoking section, sometimes on overnight. 
That's awful. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And I think minimum wage was like less than $5. Yeah. I think when I started, so it would have been after you, minimum wage was $5.90. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I went from- And now it's $15. Yeah. I know. It's so crazy to think about that. But when I worked at Moxie's, I would literally get my paycheck and then- go shopping in the mall and spend my entire paycheck at like Susie Shear. <laughs> Susie Shear, Le Chateau. Yeah, yeah. But then I ended up getting a job at the Coliseum, the movie theater. Oh yeah, you were scooping I ice was cream. working in the Baskin Robbins at the movie theater and like all of our friends worked there. And we would get free movies. It was pretty fun. I had a job when I was, I think, 16 at Fabutan. Oh, I remember that. And I remember they gave me... It must have been DVD, but my memory tells me it was a VHS uh -huh. video of basically indoctrinating me into how safe indoor tanning beds were and the different levels of UV and there's like UV, A, B, C. Yeah. But there was no computer. I had a paper book with the booking system. Somebody would come in and they'd say, oh, I want 20 minutes and then you put them in. And then you had six beds. You had to clean them in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one guy who he was not unlike a leather belt Ugh. in how tanned he was. And you're only allowed to come every 24 hours. Like you cannot yeah, come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he would come and I'd have to look back and be like, John, you were here yesterday, like less than 24 hours ago. I can't let you come. And he's like, I just want eight minutes. I just want eight minutes. And I'd be like, I'm so oh sorry. My God. You just can't. It's like Jones and for his tan. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Wild. That's crazy. I do remember tanning and going to Fabby Tan and with the little glasses and the lotion. Yeah. And because I am yeah. so pasty white, I think the literally the first time I went, I could only go for like a minute. I, yeah, I, I bet. Think, I think I never got more than 10 minutes. Yeah, I think I maybe got up to seven or eight. Oh, not And then the stickers that you could wear, like the Playboy Bunny stickers. Oh, and God, did I <laughs> ever have tan twos. Yes, yes. Tan twos. I had so many. And you put them on your bikini line. Yeah. And, it blocks the tan and then you have a little oh my gosh that's so funny so great we were so cool anyway, anyway this all rolls into do 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 i got a promotion that's amazing uh, yeah i'm going to be a financial advisor yeah so you i think you mentioned it a few episodes back that you were going to take a course yes. that's like through your yeah. work that would put you on a path to being a financial advisor. Yeah. So I was encouraged to apply and I got it and I'm so excited. I'm going to have my own office. It's full-time salary. It's honestly life-changing being like a single mom. It's just going to change a lot of things. I'm really excited. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. How about you? What's new with you? I've had a pretty wild weekend. Ooh. Lindsay and Olivia went to BC for a synchronized figure skating competition. Mm -hmm. So she's in a juvenile division and their team is so stinking good and so cute. And they're all aged, I think, nine to 13. Okay. Their theme is Spider-Man. Yeah, I was going to ask so you they about that. Do, but it's like, that's like a Michael Buble Spider-Man oh one and so their little dresses are all like red with webs it's really stinking cute That's and so cute. as of yesterday they are in first place wow and they're up against five teams in their division so awesome yeah, it's really huge so it's just been me and five dogs they left thursday night i've just had friday saturday sunday crazy yeah i've cleaned a bunch i 
went to the gym and then out for dinner with Lena on Friday. Yeah. Oh, Thursday night, I played Super Mario. All by yourself? That's so like, cute. I had to figure out how to turn it on, how to get the remote going. It's like a Nintendo Switch. Yeah. And I did that for a little bit because I was bored. Saturday, my friend Rachel came over and I made us Parmesan risotto. Oh, my God. I saw your video. That looked so good. I love risotto. It was, it was so good. Ugh, I love risotto and so much. And we embarrassingly spent three hours playing Super Mario. That is so funny. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've known Rachel since grade two yeah. that's what we used to yeah. do so i felt like we were back to being like in grade five and i should have had her sleep over and we could have had a slumber party so like it would have just been yeah and then i had i got up early this morning and went to the dog park now i'm back and i'm gonna go to the gym i'm gonna clean some more maybe get some groceries at yeah. any point did you just like fully walk around naked no i mean i what i'm like one step above a never nude i don't even like to not have a bra yeah on. no i'm the same I don't like the feel. It doesn't feel free to me. It feels insecure. Yeah. Unsecure. Unsecure. Or like loosey-goosey. Flopping <laughs> in the breeze. But that's it. Nothing else. We're I, getting that's it. I got to it. a place where there's like less drama, maybe less yeah. death and all of those other terrible things. Maybe for a little while. Maybe for <laughs> a little bit. Let's not, let's not get let's excited. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. We still need content for the true, podcast, true, Michelle. True. We need like... There's more trauma coming. Do not worry. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Our lives are very unstable. <laughs> oh, God. But this, we are going to record a special episode, which is normally Wet Wednesday, but in like recognition <laughs> of those Solidarity that don't, in dry January. Those folks. that don't drink. We're going to do a wake and bake Wednesday mm -hmm. and we're going to have a gummy or whatever our cannabis choice yes. is. And that's part of Patreon. So I guess I should have started with what is Patreon. Yeah. And it is a it's a monthly subscription where you get depending on the tier that you sign up for, you get at least two bonus episodes a month. You get discounts on our merch. You get some tiers get released a day or two early. The third tier ultimate Sufti gets a once a month video episode where it's typically wet wednesday but it's going to be wake and bake wednesday yeah and my friend is going to join us and when i told her it was at eight she was like in the morning and i was like no we're not getting high at eight in the morning she's like <laughs> wake and bake and i was like i know but we're trying to go with the w theme yeah that's so it. that's us should we read a couple oh, of reviews yeah. let's do it We've got this website called ratethispodcast.com slash I did not sign up for this. It is possibly the easiest way to leave us a review. If you are a new listener, an old listener, and you haven't done so already, or you haven't done it on all the platforms, it would be so great if you could go to ratethispodcast.com slash I did not sign up for this, leave us a review. Yeah, we love hearing what you think about the podcast and it is so much fun and it helps other people find us and it's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so our first one that we're going to read is from JBK19, who is from Canada. They wrote, love your banter and love the stories. This has quickly become my favorite podcast. Oh, that's so nice. Five stars. Next one is from Sunday AM in the US. And the title is Love This New Podcast. Great storytelling, great podcasting voices. 
looking forward to a lot more from these ladies. And that was a five star. You never know if people are going to like your voice. I think I have a face for radio, (laughs) but I don't know that I have a voice for radio. No, I think you'd. Thank you. The next one is from, I think this is actually my cousin, Nikki 090909 (laughs) from Canada. Five stars. She wrote, so freaking fun. What an incredible find. Right from the get-go, I couldn't stop listening. Full of awesome guests with such incredible stories. And the hosts are even better. Such great humor, even through the emotional trauma. Definitely would recommend it to anyone looking for a unique but amazing podcast. That's so nice. This one, I'm just going to say it's from Stacy. I don't know if she wants her last name on there. And it is from Canada. Respectful and friendly. This podcast is perfect for days you just feel overwhelmed and find yourself saying, I did not sign up for this. The ladies handle such deep topics with respect and understanding, but also leave you feeling a small sense of joy. Thankful for them, especially in the this pandemic season. Awesome. Oh, that's so nice. I should be noted, we're starting at the bottom, so these are a little bit older. I'm just going to read the next one because it's really short and it's so okay. cute. It's from, I don't know if it's I'm Sylvain or I am Sylvain okay. from the United States, five stars, and she just put a heart eye emoji. And says, love Michelle. Aw, that's so nice. (laughs) So cute. So it would mean the world to us to hear what you think. Leave us a review. Yeah. Anyway, I hope everyone has a great week. I hope you have a great week. have a great week. And I'm going to have to shovel today. It is a snowstorm and a half outside. I was not prepared for that. I'm not into it. The roads were dicey. Yeah, I got to go get my grocery order now. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Have a great day. And we'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. Hello, Liv. Hi. How, how are, are you? you? Also good. I'm good. good. We had such a good first round and then my internet we kicked did. us out. That's all right. Thank all you good. so much for taking time out of your day to record with me today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I love awesome. the podcast. Oh my God. Thank you so much. We just seem to luck out finding the most incredible guests. And so I was so excited when you said yes to recording. Yeah. And I've never done a podcast before. And I thought it was going to be really fun. My husband was actually pretty jealous too. He's like, always wanted to be on a podcast. Tell him to start thinking if he didn't sign up for something, he can be a guest on another episode. Totally. Why don't we have you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and then we'll get into your story. Awesome. Okay, so my name is Liv, and I live just outside of Ottawa in a small town called Almont, Ontario. It's very cute. They film lots of movies here. We're known as the friendly town because everybody's, yeah, everybody's just so lovely, and it's very picturesque, and all my friends are like, oh, we're, because of your Instagram stories, we're now thinking about moving to Almont, and I'm like, oh no, what have I done? (laughs) It's a really small town. We like it. I live here with my husband and our two cats. And we've got a really good friend group here. And it's just, I don't know, it's like one of those times in your life where you feel like, yeah, everything's like falling into place and things are good. It's just, yeah, it feels good right now. I love that. That's so nice. You said in our first intro, it's going to be your birthday next month. It is. Yes. So I'm a Valentine's baby. So it'll be my 32nd birthday on February 14th. I feel like my 30s have been good so far. That's good. I honestly, I'm 39. Ever since I turned 30, I was like, this is it. 30s are like really yeah, good. They are really good. Yeah. They really are. You yeah. just have a little bit less like in your 20s. I think you care more about what people think or what road you're mm-hmm. on. And 
you know, what path you're taking. Yeah, I resonate with that. I totally feel like I care less yeah. in a good way. Yeah. In Yes. Always in yeah. the best way. In the totally. best way. I would love to find out where your story starts. I actually don't know much about like how old were you when you got diagnosed and all of that? Yeah. So I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in May 2013. And I was, how old was I? I was 22 because this year is going to be my 10th year with diabetes. Uh, a whole decade. I was living on my own in Vancouver, actually. I just gotten a job offer to move out to Vancouver from Ottawa. And I took it and I thought, oh, it's going to be so much fun. And then six months in, I got diagnosed with diabetes and I feel like my whole world changed at once. So I think like a lot of the times when people hear diabetes, they do think type 2 diabetes or the diabetes that older folks get. Yeah. And so type 1 is not, it's like the rarest kind of diabetes that you can get. It's not reversible. They used to think that just little kids got it, but now it's more common that young kids and adults get it like pretty evenly. Oh. Yeah, just based on new research. So I was living in Vancouver at the time. It was May 2013. And I had been experiencing some really strange symptoms in the months leading up to my diagnosis. Living in Vancouver was really hard for me personally. It was probably the most challenging year of my life just because I had moved cities. I didn't know anybody. Vancouver is also known as like the lonely city. So oh. it, yeah, it really sucked, to be honest. It was a really crappy year. And so I just thought that some of my symptoms were maybe like symptoms of depression or anxiety or whatever. But basically what had been happening is I started to lose a lot of weight, 15 to 20 pounds. So oh, wow. But it was over the course of three or four months. So I just thought, oh, maybe I'm just going through something. And I guess part of my story is I did deal with a lot of body dysmorphia as well. So I think at that time I wasn't overly concerned. I was just, oh, it's, it's nice, which in hindsight was really unhealthy. And I, I should have looked into it more. I was incredibly thirsty all the time. I remember going to work and sitting at the office and I would get two glasses of water and put them on my desk and be drinking them one after the other. But then every 30 minutes had to go to the bathroom because I was constantly peeing. Like I could not retain any liquid. I'd wake up in the morning. My entire throat and mouth would be incredibly dry. It would almost feel like they were on fire. Oh, and that was, I was like, oh, I wonder what is going on with me. My vision was starting to go blurry. So I knew like something wasn't quite right but I was also 22 and you don't really care about your health at yeah, 22 you're you just know like, it's no you're big like, deal okay yeah totally I actually went to visit one of my best friends she was living in Calgary at the time and her mom is a nurse and I went to visit them I was kind of saying it's so weird like I'm just thirsty all the time and she was seeing how much I was going to the bathroom and drinking I think Talking to my friend later, like in hindsight, apparently her mom had a suspicion that it could be diabetes. Oh, wow. And she just, she didn't want to freak me out, but she just said, hey, when you get back to Vancouver, you should go get some blood work done. And so I did. But because I'm originally from Ontario, I didn't get around to getting my health insurance oh, sorted no. out. So I was just like, oh, yeah, I'll just walk into a I'll go to a walk-in clinic and pay for some blood tests. And they called me back on my lunch break and they're like, oh, we have your results in. You need to come in. So I went in and the doctor sat me down and he was like, 
because this is a walk-in clinic, like I'm not your doctor, I can't say for sure, but you need to go to the hospital because your blood work is very alarming. Oh no. And yeah. And I'm thinking like, what? Like hospital, like what's going on? And he was like, your blood work is showing, you know, elevated, all these elevated, whatever they do, elevated signs of could potentially be diabetes. And I'm like, what is diabetes? Oh, What's no. diabetes? Yeah. And I wasn't really taking it like too seriously, but I think I was partly in shock as well. And he said, yeah, you need to go to the hospital right away. And I said, like, I can go after work today. I'm off at five. It was a Friday. And he was like, no, you need to go now because I guess it was that much of an emergency. Oh. And he said, we're going to call you a cab because we don't even, we can't, we have a duty of care. We can't just let you leave here. And not go to the hospital he was like I wouldn't even trust your body to walk there and like the hospital was only five city blocks away so I was literally going to walk there and yeah. they said no you we need to call you a cab so I got to the hospital I went right into emergency and they were like pumping me with fluids and IVs and they were doing lots of blood tests and they said yeah it looks like you have type 1 diabetes do you know what that is and I'm like no I have no idea and so the nurses are explaining to me what diabetes is and what I'm going to have to do for the rest of my life, basically. And it wasn't really sinking in for me. I was going to have to continue to take insulin forever. Right. I just thought that, oh, yeah, it's like a, it'll, I'll be over this in a couple of weeks. Right. The permanency of it wasn't sinking in. In the mindset of being 22, a few things went through my head. If an adult, quote unquote, or parent wasn't insistent on something, I probably wouldn't do it. And yeah. because I was, you're still, I think at 22 floating in, you still need your parents or a caregiver sometimes or an adult, somebody responsible, but, totally. and then you're just like in the city all by yourself. Yeah. The concept of forever in your twenties isn't, I don't know, it yeah. doesn't stick in the same way. You're, you think you're invincible in yeah. your twenties, which I, that was very much my mindset at the hospital because at one point. Like I had tickets to a Mumford and Sons concert that night. Oh no. And I literally said to the nurses, because it was all confusing and it was a lot and I was in shock. I was like, sorry, how long is this going to take? Because I have a concert to go to oh tonight. Oh God. And they were like, oh was, no, somebody call her it, an adult that can look at yeah, her. Literally. Yeah. They were like, I think they were in as much shock that I said that I was in and they were like, you can't leave. And I'm like, I'm, I haven't been admitted to the hospital. I'm still in emergency, like their rapid assessment zone. Right. At this point, I'm getting tons of fluids. My sugars are coming down, but they actually did let me go in the end. Spoiler alert, they let me go. Oh my God. And yeah, I know, which is wild. I think I spent six hours in the hospital and I was really adamant that I leave, but also because I didn't have BC healthcare, like it was a Friday and their diabetic clinic opened on Monday, they were more like willing to let me go. Right. Which I should not have done. But the nurse, yeah, she taught me how to do my insulin pens. I got on a sky train and I made it to the Like with it, your insulin stuff in. <laughs> yeah. Wildly stupid. I should never have done that. Like, and who wildly did you go idiotic. to the concert with? By myself. Oh, my <laughs> just like you and your new little insulin kit. Like, yes. Yeah. I want to see Mumford Yeah, literally. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, so stupid. I did it. Anyway, I mean, I'm much more responsible now. Yeah. Now that it's 10 years. Did you text anybody in that six hours or at the concert and was like, hey, crazy story? 
turns out yeah. I have diabetes. Yeah, I, I called my mom when I was in the hospital and I was like, you will never believe this. She was crying. I was crying. Like we didn't know what diabetes was in our family because we actually have no immediate family that has type 1. Wow. Nobody even has type 2. My grandma has type 2, but she was diagnosed a couple years ago. So it was very out of the blue. Yeah. So that's where my story begins. And like I, I really should have stayed in the hospital, I think. Typically, somebody without diabetes has a blood sugar of between four and seven. That's, those are the markers of a healthy blood sugar. When I went into the hospital, they said I was in the 30s, 40s. Like it was very, yeah. And so what it does when you don't have insulin, your blood it becomes like the consistency of syrup because your body has no insulin to get the sugar out of your right. bloodstream. And so it just starts poisoning your body. So it, it affects your blood vessels. It affects your eyes. Your body is trying to survive and look for energy. So it starts eating your muscles. So that's why people with undiagnosed type 1 diabetes feel very lethargic and tired. Their vision gets blurry. They start losing lots of weight because their body is literally eating the essential fatty tissue. So it's pretty serious. So what's the best way that you can explain like what diabetes is inside the body? So essentially type 1 diabetes is when your pancreas stops working. So your pancreas stops producing insulin and insulin is one of the essential things that our bodies need to survive. And what insulin does is when you eat things that have carbs in it, the carbs go into your bloodstream and then insulin comes and converts the carbs out of your bloodstream and uses it for energy. Oh. And so every time we eat, that's how we get energy is like through through carbs and different like other different things. Insulin takes the carbs out of the bloodstream and uses it for energy. So when you don't have a pancreas to produce the insulin for you, your body is very limited in how it gets energy. So you're in Vancouver. You're all by yourself. You had a great time at the concert. Did they say you have to come back Monday morning? Yes. Yeah. So I was, I called my, I think actually my boss was the first person I called before my parents just to say, I'm sorry, I can't come back to work today. I have diabetes and I have to go to the hospital. And so he was, my boss was the best. And he just said, take the week and figure your stuff out and get better and we'll revisit it in a week. So Monday morning I went in. And I learned a lot about diabetes and what I needed to do from now on. And I did a crash course on carb counting because now before I ate anything, I was going to have to know how many carbs were in something so that I could know how much insulin to give myself. So that was it. It was just like a huge learning experience all at once. Yeah, yeah that's a, a lot. It was a lot. And did you have to stay sure. in the hospital or did they let you leave? They let me leave the night of the concert. And you didn't um, have to so go when back I, though and admit yourself? No, I wasn't admitted into the hospital, but I went to like their diabetic education mm. wing and I met with my endocrinologist and nurse nurses and um, they explained. They essentially helped me. And the nice thing was too, is that because I didn't have health insurance, they were actually able to give me some of the extra insulin that they had and the stuff I needed to test my blood sugar. So that's like you need the finger pricking kit, like all the things that you need for that. And then the actual monitor itself. Yes. 
So all that stuff is so expensive if you don't have insurance. One of the common names that they call insulin is liquid gold because of how expensive it is. So if you're buying insulin without insurance, one vial, it costs somewhere between $150 to $250 for one vial. And how long does that last you? For me, I was on two kinds of insulin, a long-acting, which... When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Supposed to keep me even throughout the whole day. And then a fast-acting insulin, which I take with food, okay. and it curves the sugar spikes. Both of those cost me like $150 and I would get, they would maybe last a week and a half to two weeks. Oh my God. Yeah. I was thinking so, like a month, which expensive. is still a lot, but a week and a half. Yeah. It was really expensive. And so that, honestly, that's part of the reason that I moved back to Ontario. I moved to Toronto and I was able, actually able to transfer through my job to our other office. Oh, amazing. And I, so I was able to get healthcare which was nice. So I got all that stuff covered. The other thing that I experienced probably like a year and a half into getting diagnosed with diabetes was I was also diagnosed with a diabetes specific eating disorder. And I think it's something that like people don't talk about enough is the disordered eating that happens when you have type 1 diabetes. So I obviously said that I lost a ton of weight, but as my body started to regulate itself out again, I also started to gain a lot of weight. And as somebody who grew up with a lot of body dysmorphia issues, I started manipulating my insulin because I was unhappy with how I was looking and what diabetes was doing to my body, that I just started to not take care of myself. It's called diabolemia. And the scientific term is like T1DE, type 1 diabetes with disordered eating. It's not talked about about a lot, but it's surprising how many people actually struggle with it. So I was reading today within, I was reading online within Canada, one in five children who have type 1 diabetes will struggle with some sort of disordered eating. When it gets into teens and adulthood, one in four type 1 diabetic females will experience disordered eating and diabolemia. So it's quite common. I've never even considered that. And is it because does diabetes, type 1 diabetes, inherently cause weight gain? No, it doesn't. I think initially because your body has been so starved of mm -hmm. energy for so long that probably your body is like hoarding the food that you are finally getting when yeah. you're newly diagnosed. And I remember speaking to my endocrinologist about it and saying like, my, my clothes aren't fitting anymore. Like what is happening? What is insulin doing? And he said, insulin is an anabolic steroid, but don't worry, like your body will even itself out eventually. 
But I think there was a lot of things happening at the time for me when I got diagnosed. There were so many different layers that sort of triggered this. One, like a year and a half in, I was like tired of having diabetes and the emotional work and the physical work that it took to manage my disease. Two, I was at the time, I don't know how to say this, but at the time I was like part of a really unhealthy, weird church. So like that, yeah. So there's lots of intersection here where I feel like it's a bit of a unique one. I'm not a Christian anymore. And I actually left the evangelical church because of how toxic some of the stuff was Mm -hmm. and just finding the things that I believed in and valued weren't actually, you know, people in the evangelical church didn't agree Mm -hmm. or support those things. And so I've since parted ways. But during that time, I was living with some roommates and I remember they would like constantly like pray for my diabetes to go away, that my diabetes was like a sin, that I shouldn't have it. And so you get to a point where you're like, what is wrong with me? What am I doing? Like I have this thing that's that I have to live with. And so there was a lot of like mental stuff happening as well. And then the other thing that I feel like happened at the time was my mom also started losing a lot of weight at that time. And totally fine like good for my mom she's happy and healthy today and I don't blame her at all but it was one of the things that was really triggering for me yeah watching my mom lose a lot of weight as I was gaining a lot of weight yeah of course yeah like our moms are like a mirror I think to yeah as a daughter totally and I think so all of those things combined I stopped taking as much insulin as I was supposed to and so I was keeping myself I had elevated blood sugars and I had remembered, oh, when I first got diagnosed and I didn't have insulin, I lost a lot of weight. And so I started doing the same thing. So I would come home from work. I would buy like these trays of like carby snacks and like really unhealthy things that I shouldn't have been eating. Like it was just all white bread, like deep fried stuff. And I would binge. It would shoot my blood sugar up and I wouldn't take my insulin And over time, I would start to lose weight. Right. And so it got to a point where I was admitted to the hospital again for something called DKA, which is diabetic ketoacidosis. It's basically a state where your sugars are so high that it is life threatening. So it's like being undiagnosed with diabetes. It's that's the state that your body's in. Yeah. Was that sort of like a big awakening For you, did the medical community know what was happening? I think there was still, there wasn't a lot of language around diabulimia at the time. So it was a wake-up call to me because I thought I was just losing the extra pounds that I had gained. But I remember the doctor saying to me, like, you're not losing the fat you don't want. You're losing your essential fat that is in the lining surrounding your your organs. So it's the essential fat. And so that one was really scary for me. And I said, okay, like I I need to find ways to be happy and healthy. They referred me to eating disorder clinic. I had the option of being inpatient, but I chose outpatient because I still had a job and I had to work. But I remember going there and feeling so weird because I felt like I didn't belong there because I didn't look a certain way. Right. Right. Yeah. I was still, I still had the weight that I'd gained from having diabetes and eating so unhealthily. And I guess to like a point that was just my experience, what I felt like and going through the process of getting better. 
Wow. And was that treatment really helpful? Did that help find a balance for you in being properly medicated? Yeah, I think it was helpful because really it it showed me that anyone can have an eating disorder. It it's not like skinny people yeah. who have eating disorders, which is commonly what you think of. And so it really helped me, I don't know, open my mind to what having an eating disorder was like. And yes, I did have one and how to walk through that process of dealing with those different things. When you get diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, do you get any mental health support as part of the journey of learning how to live with it? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I would say no or not always. And it's something that I wish was more readily available because it really is such a huge, such a huge undertaking to have diabetes. Your entire world changes. And it's not just the things that you do that is changing, counting your carbs and taking your insulin and things like that. But it's really, I wish there was more support for dealing with the mental health aspect of how my body looks and I don't know. I don't know how to answer that one quite. What does a typical day look like? Do you like wake up and test your sugar? And then what does that, I don't know, cycle look like? Yeah. The nice thing is that technology has advanced so much in the last even like 20 years. But now my setup is that I wear an insulin pump, so I don't have injections anymore. And my insulin pump also talks to my CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor. So I wear two things. I wear my insulin pump with my site and I wear my CGM, which always knows my blood sugar every five minutes. And is that the one that's, I usually see it on the back of people's arms? Yes, that's that one. The nice thing about that is that I have the Dexcom. So the Dexcom talks to my insulin pump and says, okay, Liv is going high, give her insulin or Liv is going low, do not give her insulin. And the nice thing about that is that I'm able to go about my day more freely rather than having to test constantly and manage things manually. But I still have to put up, like it is still a full-time job. I still have to tell my pump what I'm eating and it says, okay, based on that, you should give yourself this much insulin. I still have to correct. So there is still management that goes into it, but it is a lot easier these days. Wow. I don't know if this is a dumb question, but at the site, do you, is there just like a little vial of insulin and it's just like giving you what you so need? So the insulin pump, the insulin pump has a cartridge in it that holds the insulin and then it's connected through tubing. It's almost like just clear tubing. And then there's a site that you wear either on your stomach, your arm, your legs, And it's like an IV that sits under the skin. So that's how it's delivering the insulin. Okay. And how often do you have to change the Dexacom and the pump? The Dexacom I change every 10 days. And then my pump I change every three days. Oh, wow. That's often. It's a lot. Yeah, Yeah, that is a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. And the reason that you change it every three days is because insulin, when it's in plastic, will actually start to go bad after three days and it's not as effective. So that's why they encourage you to change it often. I'm surprised they wouldn't make it not plastic. Like, I don't know what that is. I know. I mean, I don't know either. Yeah. One day, that is something that really bothers me about diabetes is the amount of waste that and the lack of environmentally friendly options that there are. Like, I have so much, so much 
excess that I'm just right. always throwing in the garbage. There's not a lot you can actually recycle. So yeah, one day I'm hoping that changes. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even consider that. That's really interesting. Was it hard to tell people about your diabetes or I guess going through life when you're meeting new people? Is it something you feel like you have to disclose right away or does it just come up or do you purposely try not to tell people? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it depends. I'm a lot more open with it now because I feel like I'm at a place in my life where I'm like, this is just part of who I am and this is what I do and it's not a big deal. But certainly when I was in my early 20s, newly diagnosed, I did feel like I had to hide it. I was ashamed of it, especially being in the church when you hear so many weird things from people. You know, you're going to be healed. And that experience was really unique in that I didn't practice a lot of self-care for my body because I thought that this disease was not of God or whatever, right. like however they wanted to put it. And so I, I actually did have a roommate tell me once, God is going to heal you from your diabetes. And I think you're going to know when to stop taking your insulin because you'll be healed. Like the oh, weirdest stuff that, that people say. Yeah. Ah, like I, I hope so, that they meant well, but what a, but what an odd it's thing. It's just odd and very dangerous yeah. because if you have people that do have chronic illnesses in your church and you're telling them to not take their medication or that there's something wrong with them because of some sin that they committed or that their disease is not godly or whatever. I think that's very, well, one, toxic, but very dangerous too because you have people that require medical devices and medication to be able to live like more fully and be able to live in general. Yeah. And I think it's really dangerous when, you know, you're in a position of power and you're saying these sorts of things. What does that do internally to the person? Because as your diabetes doesn't miraculously recover, what yeah. does that mean? You know, are you then inherently bad or not worthy? Yeah. Or Yeah. Oh, that feels so yeah. awful. I'm so sorry. I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, man, so strange. And to compare then to now, I have a lot more compassion for my body because mm. it's the thing that is going to stay with me in my entire life. So yeah, obviously I'm going to help my body feel healthy and get better. I'm not looking at my diabetes or my disease as like this evil thing. I'm yeah. like, okay, you know what? Like I've got compassion for this and I've the most importantly, I have compassion for myself. And I think that's the big one is that there's nothing wrong with me. I'm still me. This is just something I deal with every day. So how did you meet? Is it your husband or your boyfriend? My and husband, yeah. Your husband. How did you guys meet? And what was that like being like, so I have diabetes <laughs> yeah. and this is what it means? Yeah. So we we actually met in Australia. We were both studying at a college there. And it was something I had to bring up and say, oh, yeah, have you ever heard of type 1 diabetes? Like, I have it. And had to teach him about it. He didn't know anything about diabetes. So it's been a learning process. And he was totally cool with it. And he's like, oh, that's he's very interested. But it has been a game changer to have somebody in it with me now that mm -hmm. is my biggest support and that can take care of me when I'm having a low blood sugar. And it's just been, it really has been amazing to finally do this with somebody when I've, I felt like I've just been managing it so long on my own. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. 
It is nice. I feel for him too, because it is tough. There has been times before I had my Dexcom where I would get a lot of low blood sugars in the middle of the night while I was sleeping. And it's weird. Like he would just wake up in the middle of the night and just have this sense that I was low. And so he'd take my little reader and he'd check my check check it on my arm and he'd be like oh my god like she's low and then he'd have to he'd try and wake me up but there was a couple times where I was just unresponsive and he had to figure out how to get me awake but also how to get me sugar like fast so there's been some scary moments for sure there was one time I feel so bad about it but I do not remember it I guess I was like up like I was awake at 3 a.m which I don't remember but I was severely low and Maybe I was still sleeping, but I was like in our office searching around, searching through papers. And he woke up because he heard me and, you know, knew I was low. He knew the signs. And he was like, Liv, you need to drink orange juice. You got to drink this, got to drink this. And I wouldn't take it. And I was getting really sort of agitated. And I ended up like slapping it out of his hand. And orange juice went everywhere. Oh, and I felt so bad. Finally, like he was this close to calling an ambulance because he's like, you know what? If she doesn't drink orange juice or if she doesn't get sugar into her system, it's not going to be good. Finally, I was started drinking some and I came to and I remember sitting in the bed and the lights are on and I have the glass in my hand and I'm thinking, oh, am I low? Was I just low? And he was like, yes, you were. (laughs) So angry. (laughs) Yeah. And that's so hard. My partner was married to somebody with epilepsy. And she talked about how hard it is because somebody in the having a seizure can be very combative. And it's like, how do you not get mad at them? Because you're yeah. you're just trying to help. So it's like such an interesting dynamic to a relationship. Totally. And yeah, I have a lot of respect and compassion for people who are on the supportive end of folks with chronic illnesses. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So now that you've got the pump, you won't likely go as low in the middle of the night because it'll correct, correct. itself? It won't correct itself, but I have an alarm now. So... Because right. I wear the Dexcom, I don't have to check it with my, I used to have to scan this little reader on my sensor and it would tell me what I am, but the Dexcom just will always know what I am. So if I do go low, it can predict that I'm going to go low and it'll sound off like this really loud, obnoxious alarm that wakes us both up. Right. So it does happen, but I don't go as low and it's easily treatable. Wow. I've heard a lot of talk about first responders, like specifically police officers getting training mm-hmm. to recognize signs of, I th- I think, low or would it be low and high? Yes. Diabetes because low, typically uh, it can really present itself in somebody possibly being like under the influence of intoxicated. Or, yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's not actually totally. what's happening, but that person can't maybe communicate what it is. Yeah, so do, do you wear something like a medical bracelet that says, are you ever worried about being alone in public and going so low that maybe you might not be helped the way you need? No, but I should be. <laughs> Fair, yeah. Although I guess with yeah, the arm I, thing and the pump, I think that's becoming a really yeah, recognizable tell. Totally. It is. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that too, because I actually heard a story recently through someone I know saying that there was a call made by there was like this 
intoxicated guy in this business park. And a call was basically made to the police officers saying there's a drunk person, like he's going crazy. And so the paramedics showed up and they realized the signs. They're like, oh, this person is just having a very bad episode of hypoglycemia. And they ripped off one of those glucose gel packs. Yeah. And it's like something registered in his mind that was familiar and he grabbed it and drank it or whatever. Yeah. And then 15 minutes later, he was fine. He was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. But people just thought he was drunk. Wow. Yeah. I feel... It's a real thing. Yeah. I think we need to talk more as like a society about when you make a call to 911 or the non-emergency, whoever, that instead of saying, I think this person's drunk, like saying this person is in distress or this person needs medical attention, leave it to a professional to decide what state the person might be in. Because yeah, as soon as you say like, oh, this person's really drunk or high, it automatically changes like how that person will be perceived and approached. Definitely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And so in terms of your life going forward, Do you have to, is there any considerations for having diabetes in terms of, I don't know, anything else that you might want to do that you have to consider extra things? In terms of like day-to-day things, I can still do everything I want to do. I can still eat anything that I want to, as long as I give myself insulin and make sure that my levels are okay. If I want to go for a run or whatever, I just set my insulin pump to activity mode on and it gives me less insulin yeah so because exercise can cause low blood sugars Um, oh interesting what was your decision to start posting content about type 1 diabetes and what has the reaction been that you've received the reaction has been incredible honestly it's something i never shared about public like on my social media or publicly not a lot of people knew that I was type 1 diabetic November is diabetes awareness month and so I just thought it'd be really interesting to give folks an inside look into what it's like living with diabetes day to day and so I decided just to start creating content and kind of show here's what I do in the morning here's what I do at meal times here's what I do when this happens or here's what I do before I go driving things like that and here's how I change my insulin pump and different just all the things that you wouldn't expect a diabetic to have to deal with every day but the response was amazing I had a I had one person reach out actually and say I just got diagnosed with diabetes 1.5 which I'd never heard of oh what is that it's like the in-between. It's not quite type 1 yet, but eventually it will be. So your pancreas is still producing some insulin, but oh. it's fading out. So eventually, and I think it's like, I could be wrong, one to two years, you'd be yeah. type 1. I think it might depend, but yeah, it was really interesting. And this guy, he'd only been diagnosed a couple months and he reached out and he was like, this has been so encouraging and helpful. To know that I'm not alone and it's hope. there's hope. I can still live a normal life. And I think a lot of people, when they first get diagnosed, they do feel like they're going to be in it alone or they have to change everything that they've known about how they live. But yeah, there is a learning curve, but you can still have a very fulfilling, normal life. I wonder if this 1.5 is a response to science getting better and early diagnosis. I think so. Like how incredible. I so. Yeah, I think you're right. I actually knew somebody, I knew somebody years ago who was initially diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, 
only because he was in his 30s. And so he was taking pills, which were not working. But on type 1, you like with type 1, you have to do insulin injections. Pills won't work for you. So he was actually misdiagnosed. So whether it was that he was 1.5 and then eventually became 1, I'm not sure, but it was really interesting. And I think science is getting better for sure. Wow. Can you think back like to, I don't know, you're like however far back and start seeing indicators way far out to your diagnosis that was like, oh, now knowing what I know, that was probably something. Yes. It's a really interesting question. Growing up, I don't know if this is related, but growing up, I did have some cases of low blood sugar where my hands would get shaky if I hadn't eaten in a while or I would get so hungry and a bit dizzy. Potentially that's related, but I do know that type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease and it's often triggered by a like major events. When I was living in Vancouver, I was actually home in Ontario for Christmas and I got this wicked 24-hour flu oh. in late late December, early January. And I think that's probably the event that triggered my immune system to start attacking itself. And then it makes sense that five months later in May, I'm then diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I think probably my insulin and pancreas maybe just started petering out, right. if you will, over months. Wow. Yeah. Is there anything yeah. that you wish more people knew about type 1 diabetes? Generally, I wish people asked more thoughtful questions and didn't just assume. That's like probably the biggest thing. I wish people knew how different it is from type 2 diabetes. I had a nurse once that believed they shouldn't even share the same name because they were so different. Right. Oh. Yeah. And I mean, there is, there's so many misconceptions about type 1 diabetes, whether it's if you're eating sugar, you like, you can't eat sugar. You got it because you ate too much sugar, things like that, which are just not true. There's also a lot of bad diets where people are like, oh, if you add cinnamon to the, to your diet, it will lower your blood sugar, which is absolutely false. <laughs> absolutely false. It's just, it's un, it's unbelievable the things that people will say. I had somebody tell me once, oh, have you tried keto? Because it's a, it's a no right. carb diet. And if you don't eat carbs and you get a lower blood sugar, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. Yeah. But uh, well, somebody, yeah, maybe yeah. somebody with a functioning pancreas. Yeah, yeah. Like that would be fine, right. but not somebody who has a faulty pancreas. Yeah. So I, I think the biggest things that I wish people knew is that we can still do everything that you can do and don't tell me what to eat. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Don't tell me I can't have ice cream is the biggest one. Yeah. yeah. Do you have people say like, ooh, should you have that because you have diabetes? Yeah. 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 That actually happened to me a few months after I got diagnosed. It was a bit morbid because I was at the post service to my grandfather's funeral and I had a plate of food and it had some dessert on it, but other food. I don't have to justify what I was yeah, eating, but, yeah. but this woman came up to me and she said, oh, are you sure you can eat that? I heard you just recently got diagnosed with diabetes. Are you allowed to eat that? Oh, and I'm like, God. yes, I can have that. Totally. I can have that. Yeah. Mind your business. So yeah. I, yeah. And mind your business. So I do feel like there is a lot of education that does happen. But most of the time, I'm very willing to share and educate people about it. That's amazing. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for asking questions. Of course. Amazing. I hope you have a good rest of your day. 
tell your husband if he has a story, I would love to have him on. Awesome. I will. And yeah, we will. We'll talk really soon. Great. Thank you so much. Awesome. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. Thank you so much to today's guest and to everyone for listening. If you're enjoying the show, there are many ways that you can help our podcast grow. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Join us on our Patreon. Follow us on social media. Check out our merch store. Share our show with your friends. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to be a guest on our show, please message us on IG or Facebook. Have a great week and thank you so much for your support. Bye. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.